0: Well, good morning, Renewal Church. I hope that you're doing well this morning. I know that this is not how you expected to receive a sermon today, uh, but God's going to use it because God is so good and his word is still powerful and his spirit is still in us. So I want to remind you of a couple things before we jump in to the text. All these were mentioned in Matthew's email, so I just wanted to point us back to them. The question is, how should we think about these circumstances? It's It's a time of uncertainty. So how should we think about them? Uh, First is we should continue to focus our eyes on Jesus, that in the middle of the worry, the fear, the anxiety, we continue to focus on him and keep our eyes on him. He's better than anything the enemy can throw at us. Second, let's see this as an opportunity to love our neighbors. Um, Many people need things, and there are people in your neighborhoods and in your home groups who are in need, and so be sure to get a pulse for that. Um, and and see and have the Spirit lead you to who needs what and how you can step in and serve them. The next thing is we know that the enemy is strong, his voice is loud, but our God is stronger and the Spirit's voice is louder. Um, And so we should not have a spirit of fear during this time, but a spirit of hope and of love and of service. And then always remember that God is at work in and through Renewal Church. We have seen amazing things happen in the last year, and I'm confident, and I know Matthew's confident, that we're going to see a lot more happen (laughs) in the next year. Jesus is better than anything else, and he will continue to work in and through us at Renewal Church. Okay, so we're going to jump into Galatians this morning. So even though we're not meeting at North Belta Middle School, we're still going to continue our series in Galatians called Set Free at last. And so today we're going to be in Galatians 5, uh, starting in verse 16, going all the way to verse 26. And so I'm going to read the text for us, and then if we're going to take a moment to pray um, together, and you can pray individually or as a small group, wherever you find yourself this morning. So let me read the text for us to start. Galatians five sixteen to 26. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What I want you to do now is, whether you're alone or you might be with a smaller group of people, is I want you to take a second and pray. Um, The first thing I want you to pray for is pray for Matthew and I. As we lead Renewal Church, as we make decisions about the future of Renewal Church, um, take a second and pray for us. The next thing I want you to pray for is to pray for yourself. Um, and for your community, those in your home group and family, that during this time, especially this morning, that uh, God's Word would do a work on your heart, and the Spirit's voice would be loud, and uh, you would be led and walk and keep in step with the Spirit, as we'll talk talk about today. So in this text, we have two opposing forces. One is the Holy Spirit that is sealed in your soul when you commit your life to Christ. And the other... Is your flesh. So we have to ask a question here, okay? What exactly does Paul mean by the flesh? Well, the flesh exists in that season of time between salvation and glorification. Okay, two big words. Salvation is the moment that you heard the gospel, that Jesus came from perfect heaven to broken earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross in our place. That because of our sin, we deserve to be punished. Like, we deserved death. And Jesus stood in our place and took that punishment for us, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, thus declaring that the death that was coming for us had been defeated. And in that moment of resurrection, freedom was available to us all. So if you're sitting there and you hear that gospel and you say, yes, (laughs) the moment that you say yes, you have been saved, whenever that was. Salvation means deliverance. That's what it means. So when you say, yes, I believe that Jesus was and is God, and he died for my sins, and he rose from the grave, and I commit to surrender all of myself to him for the rest of my life, in that moment you have been delivered from the grips of this world and death. Salvation has come. So that's salvation. Now what is glorification? Okay, This is a word that some of you may have not Have heard of before, the glorification of the Christian is that point in time when we get to experience God's glory in its fullest. When our resurrected bodies, uh, when we're in our resurrected bodies in the new heaven and the new earth, it's it's when we get to experience the deepest fellowship with God. When we're not at risk of falling away into sin because no sin exists in the world, it's the Garden of Eden restored. So when Revelation talks about no more tears, no more pain. That's glorification. It's finality. Like like today, there are days when you can wake up and you try to read your Bible and you try to commune with God, but it's foggy, right? And you're not you feel like you're not in tune, you're not in step with him. Okay? You don't feel like you can hear from him or you don't know what he wants. There will be a day when the fog is removed and you can see clearly the glory of God. You will live in glory. Now and the moment we are in now between salvation and glorification, that moment between deliverance and perfect in glory is where the flesh exists. Okay, The flesh is those areas of your heart, your body, and your mind that still desire the things that are not of God. The things of yourself that have not been completely given over to him and to his purposes. That Those things are at war. In you and in me right now, through video, right? The spirit and the flesh are at war right now. Paul says they are opposed to each other. They have different goals. They want different things for your mind. They want different things for your body. They want different things for your heart. And in this moment, even while I am talking to you, they are waging war. The flesh in this moment wants you to check out. Art wants you to judge, Right? It wants you to check out because this is weird because it's a video and you're not in person um, or you're distracted by what's going on with the world that it's falling into chaos. Or maybe it wants you to judge um, that you would think it's weird that I'm talking to you through a video or that I'm doing weird things with my hands or I'm looking different directions because I don't know how to talk through a video. right? So, So the flesh wants you to do anything but to actually hear from the Spirit. The flesh wants you to... Um, wants you to cause doubt. It wants, it wants to cause doubt in your heart. Or it wants to cause fear. The Spirit wants you to hear the Word of God and have your affections stirred by it to live for the glory of God. The Spirit wants to heal you by the Word of God. The Spirit wants to reveal to you the places in your heart that the flesh is winning, that in this moment they are battling. And the first thing that we have to do as followers of Christ It's acknowledge the reality of the war, okay? That in your heart right now, two opposing forces are battling it out. And that will be the case until you enter into glory. (laughs) And there are seasons when the battle might feel small, okay? Where the voice of the spirit is much louder than the voice of the flesh, where you can say, I know that's a lie. Like, I know that's not who God says I am. I know that's not who God is. Like, like, I know who he is, and that's a lie. And you can identify pretty quickly what is the voice of the Spirit and what's the voice of the flesh. Um, but there are seasons where the flesh, and you know this, the flesh will come at you with a sledgehammer. And it will feel like you can barely breathe. And it's absolutely exhausting. And, and here's the deal. It's not as though this battle is always exhausting. right? Some victories over the flesh are easily won. Okay, Some battles are barely won. Like you feel exhausted and hurt at the end. And there will be some battles with the flesh that will be lost. Because we're in this time where we're not in glory. We're not we haven't we don't know glorification. Like the flesh still exists. So there will be battles that will be lost. But the one thing that we must protect ourselves from is thinking that we are so holy or that we have it so figured out or that we've heard this text so many times that there is no battle at all. Between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit and the flesh both promise the same thing. Okay, The spirit and the flesh both promise the same thing, but only one can deliver. And that promise is freedom. The spirit's promise is that you are headed towards freedom. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But the flesh is making the same promise. okay? The flesh is promising freedom as well. If you do this or you don't do this, or if you give up this or you indulge yourself in more of this, then you'll have freedom. So I want to flesh that out a little bit. I want to f- <laughs> flesh out the flesh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> how does the promise of the flesh sound? Okay. It can show up in one of two ways. First, the flesh will try to move you From freedom in Christ to legalism. That's the main theme of the book of Galatians. The flesh says if you do these things and don't do these things, then they will stir the affections of God. So if you do this and you don't do this, then the affections of God will be stirred for you. And he will like you more. He will do things for you. He will bless you. And here's the thing. Once you do that thing, like the flesh says do this, don't do this, once you do that, the flesh will just raise the bar again and again and again until being a Christian feels like you're in a jail sale. It feels like you're trapped because you can never win, because you can never be good enough. There's always another rule to keep. There's always a thing another do to reach perfection. And we begin to feel like our sin is something that we need to conquer in order to be okay with Christ. But the thing is, We, in this time, between salvation and glorification, will never be able to conquer sin. Now, with the help of the Spirit, we can learn to identify its temptations, but the battle will always be there. So if we're not careful, the flesh will try to convince us to forget about the Spirit and to try to do this Christian thing on our own. And when we do that, we create this fear-based moralism that turns into prideful, prideful, and it turns us into prideful and judgmental people Because the flesh will tell you one or two things through legalism It will either tell you that you are not good enough Or it will tell you that you're better than everybody else So either you're a failure because you cannot follow God's rules And you don't deserve the love of God Or it will tell you that everyone else isn't good enough Because they can't follow God's rules as well as you can Right. So at the end of the day the flesh will promise that you can accomplish freedom through your own works and you cannot accomplish freedom until you're perfect so what you will experience with legalism is not freedom but rather exhaustion now the second way the flesh promises freedom is to tell you that god is not for you or that god does not have your best interests at heart that the at heart that the flesh will try to convince you that god is not for your joy That he doesn't have your best interests in mind. That that sin you're indulging yourself in is actually good for you. It makes you happy, so it's okay. So if following Christ means that you have to give up that sin, that means that he's not actually for you. That if you want to be bitter towards that person, or if you want to get drunk, or if you want to look at that, and if God is opposed to that, then he doesn't actually love you. And it creates this entitlement in us that says, My life is my own, and I can do whatever I want with my heart, my mind, and my body. It's no different than legalism. Both are assuming that freedom can be found outside of Christ. And both are weapons of the enemy to deceive us, and it stands in direct opposition of why you and I were created. That's why Paul says in verse 17, For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. A statement by Paul tells us a lot. Because we were created to yearn for God, to have our affections stirred by God, and to be satisfied in God. That when the Bible says that we were made in the image of God, it's not talking about a physical attribute. That you have to look all the way back to Genesis 1.26, where it says God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That in that moment, for the first time, we see explicitly introduced the triune God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's plural. That in the beginning of all things, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit lived in perfect community with one another. So together they agree to make humanity in that image. It's the image of communal love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. So in 1 John 4, 8, when it says God is love, that's not an action statement. That's a statement about the character of God and how God interacts with himself. He is, listen to this, he is at his core, love. Because God didn't create us because he needed us to be part of that community, but he created us like him as a gift of grace so that we could experience that same community with him and with one another for his glory. You were created to experience and know the love of God, that God has made us like him, and that he has given us value to experience him Above all other things in the world. That we will experience God in a way that the stars never will. We will experience God in a way that your dog or cat never will. Because he has placed value on you. To experience what it means to be fully loved and to be fully known. Like the Father, the Spirit, and the Son have done with one another. So God has created you for community. And God has created you for a purpose. That is the doctrine of Imago Dei. That we as humankind are born in the image of God and are unique in dignity and value and worth. So at the end of the day, what we really want is to know our Creator. Living the way of the Spirit is what we really want. Understand that. This is what we really want, yet the sinful nature continues to generate alternative and competing desire to contradict our deepest desire, knowing God. And the renewed person, you and me, has both sinful desires and godly desires, but we most truly want what our spirit-renewed heart wants. So this statement by Paul should fill us with hope and affirmation that even when we're falling into sin, we can say with Paul, This is not who I am. This is not what I really want. I want the gospel. I want to know him. I want to believe that he is better than anything else the flesh has to offer. And for many of us watching this video, we feel the battle happening at this moment. Because we've either embraced legalism or some other sin in an attempt to find freedom. And in this moment, you feel comfortable. Not because it's a video, but because you know you are living outside, living a life outside of the life of what you were created for and the spirit is beating on the door of your soul reminding you that the only place you will find peace hope and love is if you embrace your original purpose the perfect love of God displayed through the death of Jesus on the cross that you would embrace that and you would display the glory of God through your life with the same love, hope Enjoy even in times like these. But it's a battle. So, how do we ensure that the voice of the Spirit is louder than the voice of the flesh? Paul gives us two words that are helpful here. First, Paul says that we should walk in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So when you see that word walk, I want you to think of the words proximity and intentionality. That to walk by the Spirit is to be in close proximity to the Spirit. And it's important to remember the role of the Holy Spirit here. The Spirit's job is illumination. So the Spirit helps us understand the things of God. So do you believe that God loves you? If you would say yes, the Spirit helps you believe that. Do you believe that God will keep his promises? The Spirit illuminates why that's true. That when you read the Bible, the Spirit is the one that makes you go, Wow! God is good. However, if we do not consistently position ourselves to hear those things from the Spirit, then we will not have those things illuminated for, illuminated for us. This is why we read, read our Bible. This is why we pray. This is why we spend time in biblical community. Because it's in those places that the Spirit will show us who God is. But it's, it's more than just proximity. Okay, It's also being intentional with the Spirit. Because it's possible to read your Bible, go to church, be around God's people, and still miss the point. right? So here's an example that I think many of you will connect with. Um, I love movies. Like I'm a movie junkie. In fact, if we're quarantined for two weeks, I'm going to do nothing but watch movies. right? Uh, I love movies, and I like going to the movie theater. Okay, um, It's one of my favorite things to do. I don't know why. It's expensive. It's kind of a waste of time, but I love it for some Reason And early on in my marriage to Katie And even when we were dating But it more became an issue When we got married um, I would suggest that we go to the movie theater As a date So we'd go watch a movie and I would have the time Of my life right And I would just assume that she was enjoying herself as well And we would get home And I would just like start looking at my phone Um, I would start doing my own thing And she would be like What are you doing? And I I thought my job was finished, right? Like I spent time with my wife. I was very naive, still am very naive. There are other things the Lord's working on, but in this time, this was an issue. And I was like, I spent time with my wife. We hung out, so I can do whatever I want. Yeah, dummy, right? And she would graciously point out to me in a very loving way that yes, we were in the same location, but we didn't actually spend any time together. like. We were together, but we also weren't together. Because in that time, I didn't learn anything about her. I wasn't loved by her, and I didn't love her. We just stared at a screen together. Did nothing for our marriage. And in the same way, to walk by the Spirit is to both position yourself near God, but then it's also to to intentionally engage with God. So to be in the places where God is most likely to work... And while, yes, God can work anywhere, as he is present everywhere, but you are more likely to hear from God when you are gathered with God's people, when the word is being preached and the word is being sung. But proximity isn't enough. That's just where you start. You also have to be intentional, that you are intentional in this moment, in your living room or wherever you are, to listen to God's word. To not just ask things from God when you pray, but listen to what God would have to say to you. That you read your Bible while you pray. That you ask the Spirit to show you who He is and the places in your heart that aren't given over to Him. To really commune with God and not just check your duties off of your list. So the first one's walk. The second one is, Paul says, to be led by the Spirit. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, let me flesh this out a little bit. Under the law is believing that a certain action creates affections in God's heart towards you. Okay? That seeking the law for salvation other than that you are seeking the law for salvation other than trusting Christ for salvation because here's the deal, okay? The law is external and it exposes internal internal realities. The law says do this and don't do this. The work of the spirit illuminates illuminates what got what is going on in our hearts it deals with the internal and what we tend to do is we separate the external from the internal like we might say we lied but we wouldn't say that we're internally liars right uh so like like i'm not i'm not a liar or we might say that we got angry but that we're not an angry person the work of the holy spirit well, not just engage with those external realities, the actions of what you did, but it goes straight to the internal issue of the heart. Why did you do that? So it's not just that you lied, but that there it's that there's an internal discord with God that makes you lie. It's not that you just got angry. It's that there's something in your heart that's not right with God that made you angry. So it's not just that you sinned. It's that you're a sinner. The external reveals the places in our heart that's not right with God, and the spirit goes after that. So the law is about external realities and the spirit about internal realities. So to be led by the spirit, is to have the spirit deal with those internal realities in your heart. Because if the spirit is dealing with those internal realities, then you'll be able to identify the externals of the law much quicker. So if we walk by the spirit, how are we not under the law? Because the spirit deals with issues of the heart. It doesn't just put a band-aid on a struggle. Or it fixes it for a little bit, but it just reappears in a different way. But it, but it goes straight to the root of the struggle. It's not just that you're bitter. It's that there is something in your heart that is refused to live in the freedom of Christ, that you refuse to trust God fully, believe in His promises, and live in faith. Your external sins are a di- not diagnostic to what's really going on. And too many times we try to fix a sin, a singular sin, instead of allowing the Spirit to work on our hearts. Now, in our text, Paul is going to transition to specifics, okay? He will identify what exactly are the works of the flesh and what is the works of the spirits, okay? So um, there are four different categories here in the works of the flesh, four different ways the flesh will manifest itself. And the first one is found in verse 19, and the first category is sexuality, okay? The first work of the flesh manifests itself through sexuality. Sexuality and this is important to talk about because our world has gone insane on this topic. Okay Verse 19 now the works of the flesh are evident sexual morality impurity Sensuality so first thing I want to do here Is I want to remind you and this might be kind of awkward It's already awkward because it's a video, but it's even more awkward because we don't talk about sex in church and we should Okay, I want to remind you that sex was God's idea like he came up with it, okay? He gave you the tools for sex. So when we hear the word sex, often we, we think of it as a bad word so many times because we don't talk about it in church. We run away from the topic. Uh, but sex is a gift from God that in the confines of a co- covenantal marriage, it is to be celebrated and can be a source, can be a source of joy and intimacy. Because here's the deal with sex. It's unbelievably powerful. Like it has a grip on the world that because of sin being introduced into the world, the culture we live in has taken sex and weaponized it to be a thing that it was never meant to be. Sex is meant to be shared intimacy between a husband and wife that says we belong to one another. It's the place where a man and a woman say to one another, I am all of yours, all the bad and all the good. You can have all of me. I'm committed to you, that it belongs under a covenant before God. And together we get what the Hebrews call, the book of Hebrews, a mingling of souls. That it's in the commitment of a man and a woman that you will find intimacy. Not driven by emotion or feeling, but a commitment to each other before God. Now here's what the flesh does with sex. It says, you don't need that covenant. You don't need that commitment. That engaging in sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage is trying to find satisfaction and pleasure outside of the design of God. It's drinking in sand and wondering why we're still thirsty. That's why we have so many people in our churches. Uh, we have so many people in our ch- churches addicted to things that they shouldn't be looking at on the internet. Because through sexual sin, the flesh promises something that can only be found in Christ: intimacy and satisfaction. And if that's you, if you're sitting there, and if that's you, if you're engaging, engaging in sexual, sexual sin, you need to know you are being lied to. It will not satisfy you. The promise that voice in your head is telling you is not leading you to freedom. It's leading you to destruction. Do not be captivated, captivated by that voice. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. And no one is free from the, its temptations. Okay? The temptation of the flesh. We are all sexually broken. But through the blood of Christ, we can be redeemed. And intimacy can be restored. The second work of the flesh is uh, religion. So he says, idolatry, sorcery. Now this would literally be, sorcery would literally be witchcraft. Um, and idolatry would be worshipping something else as God. Um, it could also be reproducing ...are trying to reproduce or copy the work of the Holy Spirit through some other power. Um, but for idolatry and sorcery, sorcery, I mean the best example I can give you is where Matthew and I just were. Uh, we just got back from South Asia, and Hinduism, which is another religion, is ingrained into that culture. And what happens a lot of times in that culture is that new believers, or these Hindus, will just take Jesus and they'll just group him up with these other gods in fact they'll even call they'll see jesus as the healer and they'll even call churches healing centers because that's the place where you go to get healed by the god jesus and so that would be idolatry like you are worshiping these other gods and not worshiping the god (laughs) Um, and so that's what this is dealing with here the third manifestation of the flesh is attitudes of the flesh he says enmity strife and jealousy enmity is ill will or hostility Okay? And I think all of us uh, have one time or another felt hostility towards someone else, whether it's a child or a spouse. Like you've felt hostility before. Okay, Someone does something that you don't want them to do, maybe it's your spouse or one of your kids or a roommate, and you feel the hostility rising up within you. I remember I had a, I had a roommate uh, when I was at UHB that would drink protein shakes before he went and worked out. He, he would work out like two or three times a day two or three times a day so he would drink like two or three protein shakes a day and someone had given us like 50 purple umHB plastic cups that was all the only cups we had typical college guy um, so he would drink these protein shakes in one of these purple cups and then he would just throw it in the sink and he would never wash them and after a while they just began to stink and so I would finally just get fed up with it and wash them myself. Well, one time I decided, you know what, I'm not going to do the dishes. And those cups just began to pile up until he used all 50 of them. And then you, you can guess what happened. I began to feel enmity towards him, which is when I started to you know let the cups build up. And then I finally just erupted in hostility. Right, I remember apologizing later at him and feeling the weight of my flesh in that moment. Because when hostility comes, it leads you to strife, which is just antagonism. You begin to antagonize someone about what they're doing, and so you just start going after them. You point out that your husband didn't do the dishes like he said he would, um, and what does he do? He snaps back. Because the attitudes of the flesh lead to specific results, Paul says him. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. So if you are hostile and you have strife, which are works of the flesh... You will see results of the flesh you will see fits of anger you will see divisions and this is where we see churches split we all hear the horror stories of what's happened with another church it starts with one disagreement and a person or a group of people begin to feel hostile towards another and the people of that church respond in anger and rivalries begin to form divisions start to arise and all of a sudden the flesh is one we see it happen all the time with churches and the root of it is a a promise freedom that if you could just have it this way if you could just have this if life would be like this then you will have freedom and when that doesn't happen you become hostile you begin to have enmity and strife and then it begins to snowball that we must have grace in our interaction with one another it shows that we are not walking in the flesh but that we walk in the spirit And the next manifestation um, of the flesh is addiction. Paul says drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now when you see orgies here, uh, don't think how the world thinks and think it belongs into the sexual category. When it says drunkenness and orgies, those are actually two words that are one word in the Greek. When you see those two words, drunkenness and orgies, think overindulgence. It's the giving of oneself over to something else that I'm giving all of myself over to something so that I can have peace and rest just for a bit, so I can have a moment of joy, a moment of happiness, a moment of, es- of es- escape. It's addiction. Anything that you would give yourself fully over to in the hopes that it would bring you satisfaction rather than Jesus Christ. And it says things like these. So here's a question. Could food be on there? Food's not bad. But if you give yourself over to it to find satisfaction then that's a work of the flesh. Notice that it doesn't say wine. It says drunkenness. Because wine in itself isn't bad, but an overindulgence of alcohol is a work of the flesh. Could exercise be on here? I think so. I think there are a multitude of things that could be on this list. Entertainment. But then Paul says something pretty, pretty terrifying. Right. So thinking about all these things of the flesh, he says a pretty terrifying statement. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That should terrify us. So as you think about the works of the flesh and what's present in your life, how are you fighting that? How are you approaching this battle? We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I just want you to be thinking, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the work of the flesh. What about the work of the Spirit? Um, he says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. I, real quickly, I'm going to roll through this pretty quick. I want to point out four ways that we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, And I'll go through these pretty quick. Um, first, growth in the Spirit, growth in these things, is gradual it happens over time, okay? Um, not overnight. You're not going to be perfect overnight, but as you get older and as time goes on and you learn more about Christ, he will gradually make you look more like him. That I would be willing to bet that if you would say, you know what, that I've been engaged with God's Spirit for the last five years of my life. Like I've, I've been a part of a community. I've been reading my Bible. I've been, pro- both in proximity and in intentionality, I've been engaged with him. I would be willing to bet that the things you struggled with five years ago, you don't struggle with anymore or you don't struggle um, as much, right? The struggle isn't the battle isn't as loud. Um, they don't have as much of a hold in you as they used to. And I would bet that that process was gradual, okay? It's a slow process, but there will be growth, and that's my next thing. Growth is inevitable. It's going to happen. If you are following Christ and you are walking by and being led by the Spirit— then growth is guaranteed to happen. It's inevitable. Third, growth will not just be external, but it will be internal. Remember we talked about this earlier. The spirit doesn't just go after the external, but it goes after the internal things of your heart. It goes after the root of the issue. And lastly, growth in the spirit is holistic. So I want you to notice something. Is fruit here singular or plural? It's plural. There's there's no S. Okay. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, and that's important. Because if it's plural, if it's the fruits of the Spirit, uh, then you can begin to play the moral game that is not Spirit-driven. You can begin to single out one of these attributes and say, Hey, I'm really growing in peace, but I'm not growing in patience, so can you pray for peace right now? No. That doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't work like that. The attributes do not grow apart from one another. It's the fruit. They all grow together. So if you are following Christ and growing in the Spirit, you will not just grow in one of these because it's not the fruits, it's the fruit. If you're growing in patience, then you're going to grow in love. They grow together. So, here's the question. You've seen the works of the flesh, and we've seen the works of the Spirit. We've seen how they're opposed to each other. So, how do we as a faith family approach the battle between these two? Three things before we end the video. First, and these all come from the last couple verses in our text. Um, First, we remember who we belong to. How do we approach the battle? The first thing is we remember who we belong to. In verse 24, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we remember that we belong to Jesus. Jesus knows you. He knows your flaws. He knows the deepest and darkest secrets that you've kept from us. He knows it, and he still died for you on the cross and stood in the place of judgment for you. You belong to him. So what makes you think that he's going to give up on you now? (laughs) It's such a crazy idea. That's an idea that comes from the flesh. To think that God has given up on you or that you don't belong to him anymore, that is an idea that is a voice of the flesh trying to convince you of something that is not true. To think that God has given up on you, or that God doesn't want you. No, no, He is present with you, and through His Spirit, the battle is still going on. You are a son or a daughter, and His promise of freedom is not empty because you belong to Him. As Paul says in Romans, uh, in Romans eight thirty eight, he says, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we approach the battle? The very first thing we do is we remember that we belong to him. You are his, and that will never change. The second way we approach the battle, Paul says, is that we crucify the flesh. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So two things here. First, you allow the spirit to go after the root of your sin. But then you put some defenses in to ensure that the flesh doesn't win. To crucify means to put to death. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death the flesh. It's not legalism if you struggle with alcohol to not be around alcohol. Okay. It's not legalism to put filters on your phone if you have an addiction to looking at things on your phone that you don't want to look at. It's not legalism, it's wise. So it's twofold. You go on the defensive. Know where the flesh is likely to win and put some barriers against that. You kill the opportunity for the flesh to even tempt you. But it's also asking God to stir your affections so that you des- your desire uh your desire for him would, would grow so that when the battle comes, the gospel looks so much better than the things of this world. One of my favorite quotes is from Augustine uh, when he says, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys that I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and you took their place. O oh Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. Where is the flesh winning Kill it. Kill that opportunity for the flesh to even tempt you. And ask God to go after the heart. That he would root those things out, and in their place, he would put the affections and the hope and the joy that comes through his spirit. Third, the third way that we approach the battle is we keep in step with the spirit. Verse 25, Paul says, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. With the Spirit. When you see that word step, think about an army marching, right? That when an army marches, they keep in perfect step with one another. They're unified. And what we tend to do is compartmentalize the time we give to the Spirit. That we give Him an hour and a half on Sunday, an hour and a half at home group, uh, or an hour during the week if we remember to wake up and pray and read our Bible. That keeping in step with the Spirit is rhythm. That you would live your life in rhythm with the Spirit. And we could dive deeper into this, but um, I don't have the time. But just think about an army marching and rhythm. That's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. And then um, the very last verse here, Paul ends with a warning to us, to the church. He says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And it's a really. Interesting warning I think he knows that this battle Was not meant to be fought alone Uh, Remember he's writing to the churches in Galatia Not just an individual person And we have to fight it together That's why he he warns them Not to be conceited uh, Because the work of the Holy Spirit In community gives meat To the freedom we want To be in community with people With the common goal of the glory of God And proclamation of the gospel Is not possible without the work of the Holy Spirit The Spirit makes possible our unity, that the Spirit reveals to us through the people of God the places where we are blind. And on the opposite end of that, the works of the flesh will destroy our unity. Because, church, we fight this battle together, even in our own homes through video. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. We cannot be renewed with the power, without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot reach Bell County in the world if we try to do it with our own ideas, capabilities, and resources. It's a spirit that changes hearts. May we not be led by the flesh that divides and destroys, but set our eyes upon Jesus. He's better. He's our light, our wealth, and our salvation.